0: Man, if you got your Bibles, go to 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, and we're going to camp out in verses 8 through 10. That's 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 8, and just put your finger there. There is a saying keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer. That's why you sit next to the person next. No, I'm just messing around. I'm just messing around. Keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer. Why is this? The closer your enemy is, the more obvious their deception becomes. It means that you can keep an eye on all their movements and hopefully be able to see any attack coming your way before they ever have a chance to strike. When I was in high school, we had to learn about the Peninsular War in 1807 through 1814. It was a military conflict between Napoleon's empire, as well as the allied powers of Spanish empire, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland, and the Kingdom of Portugal for the control of Iberian Peninsula. During this war, this little phrase became popular, guerrilla warfare which was a military tactic including ambushes, sabotage, raids, petty warfare, hit-and-run tactics. Guerrillas usually avoided confrontation with large units of enemy troops, but sought and attacked small groups of enemy personnel and resources to gradually deplete the opposing force while minimizing their own losses. The last thing a guerrilla wanted was to Be close to their enemies, because their strength was to go unnoticed, to lurk in the shadows, to assure their enemy did not recognize them, that their enemies were ignorant of their strategies. In This way, they catch them off guard. If the enemy camps, well, they harass. If the enemy tires, they attack. If the enemy retreats. They pursue until they destroy their enemies. We, too, friends, have an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy us. There's no doubt about it. The Bible makes no bones about it. The church doesn't talk about this ancient foe much anymore. When we do talk about him, it's out of ignorance red with horns, and a pitchfork. And when we do fight, we fight with the wrong weapons. We have not kept him close, but distant. He has used this to his advantage. Satan wants to remain in the shadows. He wants us to be ignorant of him in his tactics. This allows him to ambush and sabotage the church. But we must keep our enemy close so that we might not be outwitted by him. This is the way the Apostle Paul puts it in his letter to the church of Corinth. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. (laughs) I don't know if you caught that word design there. But Satan has, uh, has designed ways to bring you down. And this morning, First Peter equips us for the battle, giving us strategies on how to stand against the enemy. Everything our hearts and our minds need for spiritual warfare, Peter will equip us, bringing us close to our enemy. Let's turn our attention to the text this morning. It says... Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firming your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And offer and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace. The God of all grace, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, let's say that again, will himself restore, confirm, and establish you. First question this morning is who is Satan and where did he come from? I want us to have a scriptural picture of him and not Hollywood. And Why not Hollywood? Likely, if you got the picture, if you got your picture of Satan from Hollywood, you got the exact picture he wanted you to have. When we look at the Bible, we found out first and foremost, Satan is the head or the leader of all demons. He is the head and the leader giving authority and giving leadership to all demons. His name in Hebrew means adversary. We know that Satan was a created being like everyone else. Now, there's some teaching out there that tries to put Jesus and Satan on the same level, but I came to tell you that Jesus created Satan, but he was an angel at first. Everything was good. We see this in Genesis 1.31. It says, and God saw everything he made, had made, and behold, it was good. Everything was good. Even Satan, even the demons, they were angels worshiping God. But by the time we get to Genesis 3, Satan is tempting Eve in the form of a serpent. So somewhere between Genesis 1.31 In Genesis 3-1, there must have been a rebellion, an angelic rebellion in heaven. With many of the angels turning away, turning against God and becoming evil. In fact, we find this in two places in the Bible. We see it in 2 Peter 2-4 where he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. They may have rebelled, but God is still stronger than demons. And Jude 6 says, And the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains, under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Let me pause. The unseen world is real, church. It is real whether you see it or not. The Bible is clear that it is real. Now, most scholars believe in Isaiah, he speaks of Satan fall from heaven. This is what Isaiah says. Now, before, be, be, before I read that, let me uh, give some contextual understanding here. If you read Isaiah 14, what you're going to see is that Isaiah seems to start off writing about a human being, and then it seems as if he transitions into talking about angelic beings. Now, this is is not uncommon for Hebrew writing where they would go talking about humans and then start talking about angelic beings or the supernatural. And so you got to watch that when you're reading it. You may say, well, this doesn't seem like he's talking about Satan. But if you're familiar with Hebrew writing, you can see that this is not a far leap at all. So let's read it. "How How you are fallen from heaven. O day star, son of David, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches. Of the pit, all of this church to show you that Satan is real. He hates God. Satan hates God. He hates this church and he hates you. He does not like you at all. So you probably shouldn't be his buddy. He doesn't like you. I don't know about you, and people don't like me. I keep an eye on them, right? Sometimes they don't even know that I know that they don't like me. I just don't say anything. It's all good. You don't like me. I still like you. I don't like Satan, though. Satan has one thing in mind, and that is this. Satan wants to destroy. It's the only thing he has in mind. He wants to destroy. Therefore, we must be prepared. We must prepare ourselves, church, for this spiritual warfare. We must prepare ourselves for spiritual battle. We must prepare our minds and our hearts for spiritual battle. But here's the question Pastor Dexter, how do I do that? How do I prepare myself? For an enemy, I can't see. You ever been swinging at something? You can't see him. How do I prepare myself for something I can't hit with my fist? Well, Peter says strategy number one be sober minded and be watchful. Be sober minded and be watchful. Peter urges us to be sober minded. Considering our opponent, the devil, he says be sober minded. Now, what does this word sober really mean? Well, it means self-control. It can be used with reference to intoxication, which is to be drunk. It is the opposite of what Peter wants us to be. That would be the literal use, self-control. But here, I mean, the literal use would be a reference to intoxication, but here he uses it metaphorically as it is used most often in the New Testament to refer to self-control. It means to be in control of the issues of life. It means to have the priorities of life in the proper order and in the proper balance. It requires a disciplined mind, a disciplined body, that avoids the very intoxicating allurements of the world. It starts with a well-disciplined life. That is absolutely essential if you're going to battle Satan. You must have self-control. And what's one of the fruits of the Spirit? Self-control. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, this is what Paul says. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober, watchful and under control. And verse 8, he says, since we are of the day, let us be sober. And again, Paul is calling us for the same attitude that Peter is calling for. That is an attitude of sober-mindedness. This is the mind of the spirit. To be sober-minded is to have the mind of the Spirit, which means that we see clearly what the will of God is. We see clearly what our Lord desires of us. We make His will our pursuit. His will is what we desire. It is what we want. It is what we pursue. When we are sober-minded, we are able to distinguish right from wrong darkness from light now in the natural it may seem very easy to distinguish darkness from light but in the spiritual it is a little bit harder because of sin in our lives but when we are sober minded we make his will our pursuit we are no longer walking as immature spiritual children drunk on the world Drunk on the things of the world. When we were immature, we were like drunk people. You know how drunk, don't act like y'all don't know how drunk people are. You got that one drunk uncle that shows up at the party talking crazy, stumbling over stuff. When you're drunk, you, 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 you can't have control over yourself. When you're drunk, you get into car accidents, and you you kill innocent people. When you're drunk and you're driving, when you're drunk, you have no control. God has not called his children to be without self-control. We are not called to act like the world. We are not called to think like the world. We are not called. We are not called. The Bible says that if we are friends with the world, we are enemies of God. We should not act like we cannot control ourselves. We are not drunk. When we are mature in Christ, it means we got our heads screwed on right. God things become our priorities. Like my own personal devotional time. When you understand who you're up against, devotional time doesn't become optional anymore. We got our minds, we got our heads screwed on right. When we understand what we're up against, the importance of Bible study becomes a priority to us. When we understand what we're up against, sitting under the preaching of the word becomes important to you. When we understand what we're up against, fellowshipping with our brothers and sisters become a Priority to us. When we are awakened, when we are when we understand the light of Christ, God's kingdom becomes a priority for us. When we are awake, church, loving people becomes a priority to us. When we are awakened, church, fighting your sin becomes a priority for you. When we are awakened, church, Worshiping God becomes a priority to you. When we are awake, I'm trying to help you understand what it is to be woke this morning. When we are woke, we walk by the Spirit and not by the... When we are alive, we know who we are in Christ. We know where our identity lies. When we are awake, we know where our strength comes from. And all of this flows from where? The Holy Spirit that gives the believer a sober mind. Let's not make any bones about it. All of us were drunk at one point. And God had to get us sober. He gave us lots of water. Lots of living water to get us sober, to wake us up. Now, some of you may not remember this, but it used to take a projector, time to warm up, before it could show a clear picture. You guys remember that if you were in school when I was or before, right? The teacher turns on the projector, but it takes time for the light to warm up. The brighter the light, the clearer the picture, And so it is with you, believer, the more word, the more you walk in the spirit, the more you fellowship with the saints over the word, the more serving, the more you warm up to the things of God, the more you warm up to the things of God, the clearer his will will become to you. And when that happens, you'll start giving your life more to what is eternal over what is temporal. Let me say that again. When you realize and you are awakened in the picture of what God has created you for, what he has created you to be, the clearer that picture is, the less you spend your time on temporal matters. And you start rearranging your life so that eternal things become your priority. You do know you're going to die someday, right? You do know one day all of this is going to be over. Keep your suitcase by the door. The end is coming, church. And don't waste your life on temporal things. But oh, does Satan want us to spend our time on things that don't matter? Mad at people, angry at people, frustrated, worried, stressed out. And a lot of us, if we're honest this morning, we're not happy because we're trying to find joy in temporal things. With this sober mind, you can be watchful. But what better person to remind us? Of oh, the importance of being sober-minded and watchful. Y'all remember our homeboy Peter, right? That's before he wrote the letter. He's a little bit more sanctified now. Holy Spirit didn't dealt with him a little bit. He ain't the same dude he used to be. He was still fresh on the block before God cleaned him up. All right. Y'all remember Peter. And so Jesus is getting ready to go where he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's what he's on his knees. He's praying. The Bible says that he was praying so hard that he began to sweat drops of blood. You know, you ain't never prayed that hard. You know, you need AC on for you to pray. That's why some of us, we ain't sweating because we praying. We sweating because it's hot up in here. But Peter is on the outside. He's supposed to be close to Jesus. Him and Jesus are supposed to be homeboys. Jesus showed him the mountain of transfiguration. Jesus showed Peter just a glimpse of his glory. He didn't show him all of his glory because Peter would have died, but he showed Peter just a tad bit of his glory. It was Peter that walked with Jesus and seen Jesus heal the blind and heal the sick and heal the lame. It was Peter who sat through many of Jesus' sermons and preaching and teaching. It was Peter out there saying, amen, preach, Jesus. I know that's right. That's for me. He was right there in the flesh in person. And here's Jesus in his darkest hour. The Enemy is lurking. Satan is close. And he wants to kill Jesus. And Peter is sleeping. He's taking a nap. He's taking a powwow. Now let's slow up. Because I know that you guys may not be like me. When I read the Bible, I got to slow down. I got to say, hold up. This pose will be my boy. We pose will be cool. I'm getting ready to die, and you sleeping. Hold on, all right. Put yourself in that position. You got some guys out getting ready to take you out. You got your boy in the crib. You are telling him to look out the window to make sure you check the back. I got the front. You go to the back because you wanted to get you a Pepsi Cola because you thirsty. You go back to the back, and you find out my man is snoring. Now y'all can act holy if you want to. Some ungodly words may have came out of your mouth when you seen them there, right? And so Peter is sleeping while Jesus is getting ready to die. And what does Jesus say to Peter? And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? He probably like, huh? Uh-huh. You know when the slob coming down when you get that good sleep. I'm just ring around the rosy right up in here. He's probably getting that good sleep, slob all down, boogers in his eye. Simon, are you sick? Why would have popped up scared as all get out? He knocked out and he says, "What? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak." Peter. Satan is up to something, and you better pray. Sleeping was Peter, and Satan was on the loose pot plotting to kill Jesus. Peter was asleep. He was not unaware of all that was getting ready to happen. It would not be long until he falls into temptation and denies the Lord. Church, don't get caught sleeping. Satan takes advantages of those who do not know the will of God, those who are ignorant of sound doctrine, those who walk in the flesh, be alert, church. Satan is a roaring lion. This is what Peter says. This is how he depicts him. This is how he describes him. In the next verse, he says, our adversary is a lion. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking what? Someone to devour. Now, I don't know about you, but if there is a lion on the loose, drunken sleep are the last two things that I want to do. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I read an article that said two lions, two tigers, and a jaguar briefly escaped from their enclosure in Germany. Now, do you think that the zoo was like, oh, it ain't no big deal. Ain't no big deal. They'll find their way home. Let them roam. They are just cats, and they are completely harmless. No. They hit up the local residents, the news, and they warn them to stay indoors until they caught those cats. Why? Because if you get caught slipping and a lion runs up on you, there is only two ways you're going to win that fight. Number one, you got a really big gun, a really big gun. Number two, God is on your side. The only two ways, you're getting out of that. Here's another just crazy verse in the Bible. The Bible goes out of its way to say this. It's in 2 Tim. You should check it out one day. It says, "Benaiah went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. Now, why are you gonna jump in a pit with a lion in there's snow down now? I don't even want to fight a lion when it's dry outside. But why go out of this, go out of the way, Bible, to say this? Because you don't toy with a lion, but you take it seriously. You are alert, you are on your toes. Peter compares Satan to a lion to get our attention on how serious our enemy is. He is on the hunt. He's looking to devour some believer or destroy some church. Don't toy with Satan. We know why we shouldn't toy with physical lions. But Why shouldn't we toy with this spiritual lion? Understand the word adversary in a general sense. It means an enemy. If you call on the name of Jesus in this room, the devil is your enemy. Now Peter calls him devil, diablo, slanderer. The term diablos or slanderer means a malicious enemy who slanders. It can even go beyond that and mean a malicious enemy who attacks. He is also called the destroyer and he is called Abaddon or Apollon, and both of these terms means destroyer. He is the slanderer. He is the accuser. He is the one who wants to take us out he is prowling about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour or destroy destroy what though what does satan want to destroy what is he what is he after what is what is he seeking for does he just want to kill you physically does he just want to have does he just want to give you a bad day does he just want to take your car so you can ride the bus that's pretty tough What does Satan want to devour? What does Satan, the devil, like to eat? What is his desired meal? If you put some grass in front of a lion to eat, the beast will walk away from it because it doesn't eat grass. I don't want any grass. Give me some meat. You put some steak before a lion, it's gone. Why? Because they are carnivores. They only eat meat. Satan has one thing on his menu, and it is faith. Satan has one thing on his menu, and it is faith. Satan loves to not just eat faith, but devour it. He will destroy any sign of faith that he sees. And to devour something is not to just scratch or bite or wound, it is to chew it up and to swallow it. Satan wants to take your faith, chew it up, and swallow it. But you no longer have it. If he sees any sign of anyone putting their faith in Jesus, his radar goes off. Any sign of resting your heart in the gospel of our Lord, and Satan cannot stand, he cannot stand the good news of Jesus Christ. He cannot stand it. And he especially cannot stand you putting your faith in the gospel. He doesn't care if you believe in the false gospel. You believe in the false gospel? He doesn't care. You believe in the health, wealth, prosperity gospel? He doesn't care. You believe in the gospel that says uh, 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 faith plus works, he doesn't care about that. But if you believe in the gospel that says on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, oh, he's after you. Jesus uses this parable of the seed to explain what happens, just to give us a little window into the spiritual world. In the gospel of Matthew, he says, here then the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom of, of the kingdom and does not understand it, who comes? The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. I'm gonna pause there for a minute. Satan does not want people to come to Christ. And many of you, even when you walk in this room and the problems and the situations that you have, it is a distraction to keep you from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says when they don't understand the gospel, when they don't get it, he wants to make sure that seed has no time to grow. And so he's sending tribulations and he's sending problems for what? He wants that seed called the gospel out of their hearts. Because what? The gospel changes lives. It frees people from Satan, and you don't want it to be preached. You pray for your church. Satan devours any sign of the gospel or any sign of faith. Now, a lion needs strong jaws and teeth to devour meat. Satan needs strong jaws and teeth to devour faith. What are his jaws and what are his teeth? What do he uses to destroy faith? I'll give you one. Satan uses suffering to devour faith. He uses suffering to devour faith. Do you remember Job? Satan comes into the presence of the Lord, and the Lord says to Satan in verse 7 of chapter 1 in the book of Job, what does he say? from where have you come? Watch this. This is the clearest picture you're going to get of God interacting with Satan and what Satan is doing. Here's God in heaven. Satan comes and God says, from where have you come? Then Satan answers the Lord and says, what? From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. What you doing, homeboy? What you walking back? If somebody's walking back and forth on my block, I'm peeking open the blinds and I'm trying to figure out what they're doing, right? And so what's going on? What you up to? Why is he roaming around the earth and walking on it? Peter answers it. He's prowling about like a roaring lion seeking whom he what? May devour. He is wandering through the earth looking for victims. It's a real spiritual warfare. Are you seeing this? Walking back and forth, looking to victims. Back to Job, and the Lord said to Job, Job one Have you considered my servant Job? Pause right there. I'm mad at God right there. I'm just mad. I'm telling a man of my bed. Why you gonna tell this man about me? Why you gonna Why you gonna point me out? I ain't doing nothing. Get our homeboy over there. He ain't even worshiping you today. Get him, right? So God draws attention to Job, and he says, have you considered him? Do you want to try to chew him up? See if he'll go down. In essence, that's what God is saying. Do you want to try and devour Job? And then what happens? God says this, that there is none like him on all of the earth, a blameless and upright man who who fears God and turns away from evil. Let's pause for a second. Here's the reality. God just said that, Paul, that, that Job is walking in righteousness. Job is doing the right thing. Job is following God. He's doing what God has called him to do. That's what the text says. This is what I want to point out to you. You can be going to church, paying your tithes, worshiping God, doing all of the right things, and God will still allow suffering to come in your life. So a lot of people say, I've been going to church, I've been doing this, what is going on? God will allow suffering to enter into your life even if you are following his ways. All right, right, let's keep going. And Satan says, watch this, let me have better. You think Job is a bad boy? I'll show you how strong his faith is. So God says what? All right, let's do this. And you know the story, right? right. No matter what happened in Job's life, Satan could not devour him. And Job said this, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's faith. You hurt me. You subtract from my life. But if I still trust you in the midst of my suffering, that's faith. Because to the degree that we're willing to suffer for something expresses to the world where my love is, where my worship is. The more I worship him, the more you take from me, the more I praise him. The more you hit me, the more I worship him. What it is doing is expressing where my faith is. I don't trust him when the storm passes. I trust him in the middle of the storm. I don't trust him just in the light. I trust him when it's dark, and I don't know what's going. Maybe you're not getting this yet. This is not just about physical. This is about your worship. Now, let's be real. Remember when you used to love God with everything? Those were moments. And then one day, the floor was pulled from up under you. And we can shout and we can jump, but have you ever been through something? It is hard to cling to your faith. You ever had something happen to you that just rocked your entire world? You doubted this entire Christian thing? You say, God, I don't know if you're real. Satan is trying to destroy you. And the Lord took everything away from Job, everything he owned, his property, took away all of his children, took away all of his wealth, all of his animals. The only thing the Lord left was his wife. And I think there were some days when he would gladly have traded her in for somebody else. I'm just being real. Because what was she doing? Y'all remember what she was doing? She wasn't helping him, was she? She said, won't you just curse God and what? Won't you just die? die?" He came up on a brother on Father's Day. I just, I just want to believe. I know I'm doing some ice of Jesus here. I just want to believe that this happened on Father's Day. This happened on Father's Day. He's going through it. He come up in the room. Ladies, don't do that to your man today. Don't you tell him curse God and die. Does Satan really care about you having a house? No. Does Satan want your money? No. Does Satan want your health? No. Does Satan want your church attendance? No. In fact, he will give you all that if it will destroy your faith. He wants your faith in God. He attacks those things because he thinks it will cause you to turn from God. Now, hold on, because Christianity isn't just individualistic, Satan wants to destroy Job's support system as well. This is where he uses his guerrilla warfare. He likes to separate the sheep from the group. He aims to sow discord, to break fellowship, and to undermine confidence, to silence confession, to get us to stop serving God and each other. And I'm telling you this morning, the last thing Satan wants is you to become connected with the body of Christ. He will do everything to keep you from the body, sleep, busyness, TV, whatever he has to do. He's always after us. He's after your worship in Christ. And second, the way that he tries to devour us is through systems. Now, he is not omnipresent. We need to understand that Satan is not everywhere. But in John's gospel, he calls him the prince of the world. He commands the human system. Satan has set traps all around us. You don't have to come in contact with him to be devoured. Remember, he has a whole team of demons he oversees and controls. He is also called the prince of the power of the air by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. The power of the air means the supernatural demonic power that exists in the universe. He commands that, so he commands the human system, the cosmos, the world. He commands the air, the supernatural sphere in which demons move, which is why Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And that's not the Illuminati, if you're wondering. Cut it with the Illuminati stuff, all right? (laughs) Satan is very much aware of you. He's very much aware of this church, and he can name you by your first name. We see this in Acts when the three guys went up to this demon possessed man, silly idiots. It's the funniest verse in all of the Bible. They go up to him, and they said, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. If you got to point to somebody else that knows Jesus, (laughs) just leave it alone. Just don't go there. You see somebody crawling up a wall and turning their neck off, don't mess. If you don't know Jesus, don't mess with it. What did he do? He beat them until they Levi's came off. They had no more pants on when the, the demon got done with them. Satan is a vicious lion, and he will not spare anything to take down your faith. All right, here's the real question. Can a true Christian be devoured by this lion? Can a true Christian be devoured by this lion? Can a true born-again Christian possibly be devoured by the devil? My answer is no, they can't. Because true born-again Christians will resist the devil firm in their faith. That's the meaning of being true, born-again Christian. They have the Holy Spirit inside of them, moving them to fight by faith. If you are a true believer, you will not toss your faith away. This is why John says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but Peter commands us to resist him. Firm in our faith stand, Christian, in what you know to be true. What you believe in to be true. Who you believe, believe in to be stronger than this lion. How are you going to resist such a great foe? You better know in your heart that Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and is coming again to give eternal life to all those who believe. You better know that you know that you know that. You have got to have your hope in something beyond this material world. If not, you're done. You're dead in the water. Because one day you're going to lose it all. And who's going to be roaring in your face in that moment? When everything is gone, who's there? Satan. Can he take material stuff away? Yes. People are always talking about, I plead the blood of Jesus over my stuff, I plead the blood of Jesus over my car. He didn't die for your car, he died for your soul. Stop it with the nonsense. Stretching the gospel. Jesus didn't die for your for your car. I wish he had died for my car because (laughs) my car almost died on me this past week. Just therapeutic right now. Can Satan kill you? Yes. Can he take eternal life from you, believer? No, he cannot. So let's do a little bit of rehearsal here on how to fight Satan Satan says you will never overcome this sin why won't you just quit you've been fighting this every day only to fail you tell him this is true I can never overcome this sin but Christ has and my life is no longer mine I live in him And he said in his word that sin is no longer my master. Therefore, I do have power to overcome this sin. Satan says... Why won't you hide this sin? There's no way God is going to forgive this one. Stop going to church. They're just going to make fun of you. You say, according to the word, particularly Satan, if you got your Bible, go there. In 1 John it says, if I confess my sins, he is just and faithful to forgive me of my sin. Or when the devil throws your sin in your face and declares that you deserve death in hell, you tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell, what of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf, In his name is Jesus, the Son of God. And where he is, I will be also. What are you going to do in those moments? How are you going to close his mouth? You need the promises of God. You remember Daniel, Right? Daniel gets tossed into the lion's den. The king is worried that the lions are going to devour Daniel. He wakes up early in the morning. He goes to the lion's den. He calls on the name of Daniel and he says, Daniel, did your God save you? You better believe he did. He closed. Their mouths, so that they couldn't devour me. I came to tell you that there is a gospel that has closed the mouth of Satan. And if you stand on it, you better believe no lion could ever, ever, ever destroy you because Jesus has closed the mouth. Of Satan, I preach this morning? There's a gospel that says that nothing can destroy me. Peter reminds us that in your suffering, don't give up, brothers and sisters. He says in verse 9, knowing that there's other brothers and sisters that are suffering like you, but I like the way that Paul puts it. He says that these are light, momentary afflictions in comparison to the eternal weight of glory to come. I came to tell you it's okay to play a little hide and go seek with Satan. Satan's looking for your faith. He devours your car. You're still praising. He says not in the car. He comes and he devours your house. And he says. She's still praising. It's not in her house. Let me check out the marriage. He messes up the marriage, and he finds out you're still worshiping God. It's not in her marriage. He finds out that he attacks you. He finds out you're still worshiping God. He finds out your faith is not in you. He says it must be in the living God who died 2,000 years ago. He died one dark Friday, and he rose One bright Sunday morning, every time you stand on the gospel church, You're standing on the neck of the devil. Verse 10 says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore and confirm and establish you. Don't pay me no man. I'm preaching to myself now. What this verse means is that if God called you to his glory, he's going to get you to his glory a little suffering between here and now and then he's going to stop them friends in this life we have to fight the good fight of faith but we shall overcome in this life we have to resist a vicious lion but we shall overcome in this life we are pressured from every side but we shall overcome in this life we are up against the principalities of darkness in high places but we shall overcome. We might be perplexed, but we shall overcome. At times we might feel abandoned, but we shall overcome. At times we might get knocked down, but we shall overcome. We may be afflicted in every way, but we shall overcome. We may be persecuted, but we shall overcome because God is our refuge, a present help in a time of trouble. We shall overcome because the verse says he who has called you to himself will bring you to his eternal glory you must not know who him is so let me help you out I'm talking about Elohim I'm talking about Jehovah Jireh I'm talking about the most high God don't mind me I'm preaching to myself at this moment and when God restores he gives you back all that you lost and more he restores he confirms he strengthens all that freedom I love the way those old Negroes sang that spiritual, oh, freedom over me. Before I be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to be with my Lord. No moaning, no more moaning, no more moaning. Before I be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave. I'll go home to be free with the Lord. I came to tell you, before I be a slave to the devil, I'll go home to be with my Lord Jesus. Christ. I'm no longer under any chains. I'm no longer Under the power of darkness, I'm no longer under chains anymore. God has set me free. Thank him for his blood. Thank him for his sacrifice. Thank him for his prayers. Thank him for his intercession. Thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his mercy. I lift my hands to you. I worship you. I praise you. Don't pay me no mind. I'm preaching to myself. Until we see free, until we see the gospel is all that we need. Church, we shall overcome. Our God will bring us safely through the jungles of this world. No matter if you're battling cancer or depression or just struggling with a relationship, I want you to know that you're going to suffer a little bit in this life. But after that, it ain't nothing but glory. You shall overcome so here's my encouragement to you as you wait in this jungle be sober-minded be watchful pray at all times meditate on the word stay with the body stand firm in your faith and remember that God himself will establish confirm and strengthen you, and the power of his glorious might.